0: Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus, otherwise known as Word Vomit. With me today is my two beautiful Vox Vomitus vixens, Tricia Ridinger McKee, author of the Beyond series, and Allison Martin, author of the Bourbon books. I, of course, am author Jennifer Ann Gordon. Uh, author of the Hotel Series and the gothic horror novel Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent. We are joined today by Bram Stoker award-winning author Julia Fine. Welcome, Julia. Hi. 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 (laughs) We do a lot of waving in this show, just so you know. Um, It also, we do release an audio version of this, so every time we, like, do something silly, we're like, I'm waving at the camera. (laughs) Like... (laughs) otherwise we're it
1: doing. just it evolved into mime and we forget that some people are going to be listening on this <laughs> podcast going,
0: what are they doing yeah i've had people say what was going on here at this moment where like one of us did something ridiculous usually me like leaning in dramatically to the camera <laughs> <laughs> so julia you are here promoting your brand new book the upstairs house can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about that book
2: Yeah, um, so it's The Upstairs House is my second novel. Um, It came out a week and a day ago, came out last Tuesday, and it is about um, a woman who has just given birth to her first baby um, and is in that immediate postpartum period. I almost said nightmare, but period, period. Um, You know, the baby is (laughs) still safe. her. Yeah, in the hospital, having just given birth to the baby, um, and her husband goes back to work pretty quickly, and she's alone with this baby, and she starts hearing noises, um, from the upstairs of her condo building, and it turns out that either, um, she's being haunted by the ghost of Margaret Wise Brown, the author of Goodnight Moon and Runaway Bunny, and Margaret's, um, real real life lover, Michael Strange, who was an actress, uh, or she is experiencing severe postpartum mood disorder um and the book sort of follows her as she tries to figure out what's going on and how to sort of exercise these ghosts and also figure out you know how to handle becoming a mother
0: um i love it i love the book so much yeah. um uh i write horror and Though I don't really consider this a horror novel per se, there is, I love the the haunting aspect to it, Um, but I think the true horror of it is just the overwhelming exhaustion and panic I feel for your main character all the time. I'm just like, I'm tired for her. Uh, So you did a great job capturing that i've never had children but i've had obviously most of my friends have had children and they've described very similar things (laughs) minus the ghost of um you know margaret brown and you know minus that uh did you write this well like right after you had your first Pretty
2: soon after so um When my son was born, I was very, I was the first of my sort of close circle of friends and family to have a kid. And so I was wildly unprepared for sort of what that postpartum period looked like. Um, I felt like I got a very, a fairly good sort of idea of like what pregnancy, even childbirth was um, from literature and movies and just sort of general the way we just talk about it culturally. but I had not really, I just didn't know what to expect and was totally unprepared for, you know, waking up every two hours to nurse a baby and just how how much of myself I would have to give and how dependent this baby would be and just sort of what it would mean physically and mentally um, to go from to being just responsible for myself to having this new baby and, um, and so in, in that immediate period, I really was not doing any writing. I wasn't doing any reading. I was super overwhelmed and unprepared. Uh, but as I got further from it, I started thinking about how, not strange, but how, how, um, how important it was to have literature about that time and what I would have wanted to have read and what I would want to know. And the more I talked to, um, as my friends had kids or as I made friends who had babies of a similar age... Uh, a lot of the things we talked about, we went through similar experiences, but while we were going through them, you know, those who didn't have uh, older siblings or friends who had just done it um, or people who were willing to sit them down and say, you know, this is what you can expect, like, brutally honest about how difficult it can be. Um, you know, we thought we were sort of alone in some of these feelings. And so my, my thought was, if I could write a book um, about that period that felt authentic and genuine and sort of gave the experience you know wasn't necessarily my obviously I was not haunted um <laughs> wasn't my experience
0: not it, judging not um, judging if, I, you, if I, you had a relationship I, uh, with Michael Strange who was a ghost I wouldn't judge him <laughs> um,
2: but yeah, but I was interested in um depicting that in the book. And so that was sort of part of the impetus. And then also having just had a baby, I um, was reading a lot of Good Night Moon to my <laughs> And thinking. Um, yeah, they say for to get your baby to sleep, they say do sort of have a, have a routine where you do the same thing every night with like, using so you sing the same song and you use the same smelling lotion, you know, and you read the same book. So I read Good Night Moon and I just got more and more obsessed with Good Night Moon and how I just wasn't sick of it. Why wasn't I sick of it? It was my millionth reading. I was still <laughs> in the book. What was going on? Um, and so I looked at the author, and Margaret Wise Brown was so fascinating, and that immediately I knew, you know, this is, the, this is my next book, because she. I, feel like she, I felt like she, she deserved to be sort of memorialized. Um, so a lot of the stuff about her, basically everything about her in the book, um, is based on her biographies and her letters and sort of her actual life.
0: Well, you, reading your book, I did go down uh, the rabbit hole and look her up as well, because I was like, I, as somebody who doesn't have children, I've only read Good Night Moon one time, which is still weird for somebody who has no children to have read it, just <laughs> in a bookstore, like Nana Barnes and Herbal. <laughs> <mobile. laughs> it's like, huh, this is pretty good. Uh, so I did end up going down the rabbit hole with her, with Michael Strange, and and I was wondering, like, what came first, the your love for them or the baby? But now it makes okay, more sense. Yeah,
2: baby. 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 I baby. I knew, yeah, I was like you. I knew Goodnight Moon, but I really didn't know it well um, before myself. I was, was going to say,
1: I, I assumed by the time I had gotten through some of the details that you either had recently had a baby or were right there like you were the sister of someone because a lot of the details, I mean, I have three kids and I've had all of them within the last 10 years. All of those things aren't things you would necessarily read about, but you would experience from the mesh panties to the ice packs down there. All <laughs> of those are details that, again, these are things they don't really talk to you about. And it's like almost a secret club where until you have it, no one's going to tell you these things. And then you're going, why did nobody tell me I was going to have a warm squirt bottle that I was going to be drinking? Yeah. I mean, TMI, I know. And I guess that's why people don't do that. <laughs> but and they're, not, but it's not. You <laughs> But I, I thought I thought that was one thing the book did so well was really capture these things like detail by detail uh-huh. to fill out this experience that is it is a short period of time and probably a lot of us once it's over you just kind of let that go because you don't need to hold on to it. But I don't think I've ever read anything that has that kind of account. Like yes, people have babies in books, but not that immediate postpartum. Now I'm home with the baby and there's nobody watching me. You know, what do
0: I do now? Right. Yeah, it Her. was the details that like, ground this story into a reality so well. I didn't know about the mesh panties. I didn't know about the ice pack. I was like, that can't possibly be real. real. I messaged my best friend, real. and she was like, yeah, oh, yeah, it's real. And I went, why don't you tell me? And she said, well, I thought you still might have kids someday. <laughs> and I was like... We don't want to scare you from that club. Yeah, so,
2: oh, she really. Oh, oh, that, so, yeah. I before I had um, before my son was born, I asked my mother. I said, "You know, like, what do you want to tell me?" She said, "I'm not going to tell you anything because it'll just be too." Tr-. And I think she had a very difficult like with me personally. She had all sorts of issues, um, and I had fairly, you know, like I had fairly sort of routine um, labor and delivery for both of my children. I now have to, um, but yeah, it's like people. It's funny because for me, the the postpartum stuff was harder than when you're in the hospital and you've got doctors. And, well, if, if you're having a hospital birth or even if you're having a home birth, you should have somebody. Um, somebody should good, be there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but if you're in the hospital, as I was, it feels very like, okay, somebody else can handle this. They're telling me what to do. I, you know, the baby, if the baby cries, like the nurse can come rock the baby. And then all of a sudden you're at home and you're in charge. And um, so that to me was a lot scarier but like you said that's the thing that we don't talk about we talk a lot about like you know oh are you going to get an epidural but not you know are you you know what are you going to do at 4 a.m when you're falling asleep and your baby's still crying and nobody's there The you know so um I felt like yeah I feel I I feel very strongly that that's these are conversations um that should be more in the forefront sort of of what not only women but just like we talk about generally as a society because so many people have babies and so many people go through this and if we can depict you know all of these other formative experiences that really change people um we should also be talking about this experience which is just such a drastic physical and emotional transformation um which i think is why it sort of lends itself to um sort of a horror-esque novel
1: but, and we talked a lot, Jen and I were going back and forth about, okay, so we were looking at what the categories were on Amazon to see how it was classified, because when, when I found out you were coming on, I just, I downloaded the book and started reading. I didn't know what I was getting into at all, and then Jen's like, well, it's horror, and I'm going, this is horror? Okay, I can see where we're going, with some of this being horror, but when you were writing it, did you go, I want to write a horror story, or I want to write a thriller, or did it just become this thing, and then someone else told you where to shelve it?
2: Yeah, um, I... I was definitely conscious of sort of some of the horror tropes that I was using. Um, there is sort of, you know, a long tradition of sort of ghosts and possession and haunted houses and poltergeists that I'm accessing there. Um, and I think, like, the build of the book sort of follows a more traditional horror novel where, you know, the things, it just escalates and escalates and escalates, and then you have, you know, whatever that cathartic, creepy, scary, you know, final moment is. Um, But I don't, I, when I'm writing, don't necessarily think, like, I'm writing a book that's in this particular genre. I definitely think, like, okay, here's how I can use these elements of whatever the genre is, and, like, definitely of, you know, suspense or of um, my first book I was sort of writing about fairy tales, but I, it's never, you know, I don't think, I consider it, like, literary fiction, and I think that people who pick it up expecting sort of you know, a flat out horror novel or a flat out um it's like a divorce fiction for you know for some reason yes. about <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so it. So
1: I'm actually what ended up there, but I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure whether that was a conscious choice you made or if the, if the publisher went, well there's there's a way we can shoehorn it and it's a small category. We can get a higher number if we shove it uh, in there. Maybe they're, they're the ones who are
2: the, the brains behind the it. Um, like, I just like the book. You guys figured that part out. Yeah. And I mean I I honestly I think it's a book where like it's probably best to go in cold and have, you know, yeah. no real expectations other than to know, you know, like if you're going to be triggered by um, postpartum depression right not for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, but other, other than that I think it we were having the conversation as we go along, like, okay, now I feel it's more this. Well, now I feel it's more that. So I'm waiting for her to finish so I can go, okay, now tell me what you think because I know
0: because I went from this is horror this. to this isn't horror at all, it's literary psychological fiction. And it's not a of like, historical fiction. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It fiction. Also, like LGBTQ fiction, like it's like mm-hmm. there's a lot of things. Um and there's also like a Latin. A Latin test we could take, like like, word origin. I thought
1: you meant Latin as in like Latin America. Oh, like like, what? No, no, you mean you mean okay. For those who haven't read the book, there's there are these series, and I'm assuming since I listened to it, so I'm assuming written written out, it was it was pieces of the main character Megan's thesis that she's working on setting aside. Mm -hmm. So it'll have these descriptions of these words, and it's like this word from the Latin for this, like. Mm-hmm. is also from the same word as hospital and guest and ghost and all these things and uh-huh. going, I don't know if any of this is true but i like it <laughs> oh it's all true <laughs> i like it i like it. i wouldn't let you get away
0: with it even if it
1: wasn't these words related
0: i know I was, I was so excited i use one latin word in my current work in progress and i do define it and i was like i'm so original and then i was reading yours and i'm like no i'm not original at all
2: and I, I mean, I, I felt like for this book particularly, um, I think because I was writing, so the book is it's about Margaret Weiss-Brown um, and her personal life, but it's also about her professional life, and professionally, she sort of came up in this tradition of progressive early childhood education and these new books that were being written for children, and it was sort of like um, if you were to take, you know, like James Joyce or Gertrude Stein and write it for children, is sort of what they were doing. They were saying, like, let's basically, like, write modernist literature for kids, where it's about like, the physical present moment, and you're much more, um, like, situated in space, and it's about the physical experience, and so that's how you get things like a fire truck goes beep beep, as opposed to, um, before, like, the 1930s, uh, when books for kids were either, there just were no books for kids, or it would be uh, like a fairy tale, um, and so, I I felt like one, it was a lot of fun to sort of look at the roots of these words, and it said a lot about this character who is trying to tether herself to something as she becomes progressively, you know, more and more um, unwound, Uh, but also it tied in, in my mind, to this idea of, you know, Margaret Wise Brown and how how carefully she chose the words in her books, you know, like, they're not, it's not just like, oh, she came across this nice idea about a book to say goodnight to things, you know, a lot of kids' books say the naked things. It's not like she just said, you know, let's draw pictures of bunnies, kids like bunnies. Like she was very, every word was so carefully chosen and they went, you know, she like combed over the manuscripts and it was really, it was, you know, it. it's art, it's literature in the same way that writing for adults is art and literature, which um, is another part of the book is like, yeah. did she feel like it was art and literature? Um, and in her day, sort of, was she respected for what she was doing? And the answer is sort of... Um, but it was really interesting because she herself, um, with the historical Margaret Wise Brown, was very um, self-deprecating about, you know, I just write books for kids, but like, these aren't just any books for kids. These are sort of the seminal books for children and they're poems, really. Um, so all this to say, the etymology was, you know, my attempt to sort of get that conversation going as well.
1: Well, and I was going to say one of the later things that happens, there's a, a, it's not a spoiler or anything, but there's a conversation where they, almost focus group one of the books and one of the children points out that's not the kind of noise a car makes it sounds like this and then they change it to actually capture what a child's experience with these noises so it's not even just like we're talking down to these kids but we are actually seeing them as these are our audience members these are our intended readers what would they perceive and let's have our book reflect that Um, but what you brought up about the self-deprecating and whether she thought what she was doing mattered that part just really hit home for me because you have this whole second storyline about Margaret and Michael, and Michael like constantly putting her down about, you just write books for kids. You know, when are you going to write a grown up story? When are you going to do this? And we've had conversations many times about which genres are looked down upon or if you're just writing for children. And I just wish we could get just everybody now and back then over the whole idea of, well, you only do this or you only do that embrace what you do and if you do it well let's applaud that versus go well you aren't writing literary so that's just it's commercial or genre go away Mm -hmm. that kind of thing it's just
2: the elitist it it goes to show because Michael Strange who was Margaret's partner um, who the one who was telling her you know you only write books for kids do something serious nobody knows who she is she was a poet she sort of had a so sort of the equivalent of which is sort of the equivalent of a podcast back in the days, no yeah. um, but and she like, was a playwright, but nobody nobody knows her except in the context of Margaret Wise Brown. Um, and there's like one or two. She's married to John Barrymore, so that also, she, you know, she was like he was her second husband, and she was his third. I don't know. So you know, it's not even not even like the you know uh, romantic interest, but yeah. So she, when you look at what whose work, um, has stuck around right. and how 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 they're being read today. It makes it even sadder, you know. Mm-hmm. But it also feels very like okay. Well, if in this moment somebody, you know, like I, I just wrote a book about like you said, like mesh panties for postpartum women. Like there are people who are like, this is not serious, you know. But it it is it is to me. It is to all of us who you know have experienced, yeah. it. and those who have not should take it seriously. But more importantly, like what what somebody says. About it today isn't a reflection um, on what sort of ha- how it will go down in history, depending yeah. on, you know, my book is going to go down in history, but, but I think, you know what I mean? And I think no, you know, you're, 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 no, you're kind, of, you're, you're kind of, exactly. of children's writing, and you just don't know what's going to resonate and how people are going to be impacted. And so I think, you know, it's short sighted to say that you know there's like one arbiter of what is important in in writing
1: right because her stuff stood the test of time and you can ask around even Jen who's like I don't even have kids and I read this book mm-hmm. this isn't it was known and it was funny because as I was reading your book and it's it does start with the story of Michael just a little bit there before mm-hmm. getting into Megan in the, the present day I had never heard of her and it wasn't until the good night moon came up that I'm going oh wait these are real people I thought they were fictional until so that came around and I went oh I wonder if they're all real. And then of course I felt on the same rabbit hole Jen did. Cause I had no idea. I mean, I knew the name Barrymore and I, I figured, okay, well I'm assuming then if you're using them, you're using them uh, accurately, historically, but they didn't stand the test of time. I mean, the Barrymore family did, but mm-hmm. range really didn't. And Goodnight moon did.
2: Yeah.
0: Trisha,
1: do you have any questions? I, I yeah. do actually. Um, this story is just so, it's so gripping and it's almost like, um, they blend so well, but it's like two separate parts because there's the part about Margaret and everything else. And there's so, it almost gives you a break from the story. It's almost like you're getting so drawn in and then here's this break to kind of give you. And also, um, it's kind of a two part question because your first book, um, what should be wild? Um, and you even said it it was like fairy tale ish, you know, which is very different from this book. <laughs> how do you how do you do that? Especially, you know, two separate you know two books that are completely different, and then you have this one book that has very different parts in it that do blend well together. Um, do you write one part out separately? Um, do you write one part, then the next part? What's your process for that?
2: What did I do? Um, so I initially I wrote uh, the present day stuff not all of it, but the majority of it first. That was sort of where I started. Um, but I realized fairly soon, you know, within the first hundred pages of writing about Megan, um, two things that I realized. One was that it was so claustrophobic to be in her head the whole time. And it was so intense that it it wasn't, unless I only wanted to write a hundred page book, um, I was going to need to take some space and like there, there's just going to have to be some breathing room um, in order for it to work and for it to resonate and sort of do what I wanted it to do. Um, and I also realized that if I was writing about sort of Megan's relationship to Margaret Wise Brown, I was going to have to show the reader who Margaret Wise Brown was. And I was going to have to figure out a way to sort of get all of that backstory um, and all of that exposition sort of into the reader's mind so that then they could go and see what I was trying to do later on in the book. Um, And so I hit upon, it took a while, I sort of was playing back and forth with how I was going to do it. Would it be sort of her just sort of flat out saying this is my research for three chapters? Would it be, um, you know, like uh, actual letters from, um, you know, Margaret to Michael, and vice versa, which I, I have a few excerpts there, but I that ended up just being epigraphs. Um, and I finally realized, like, having Megan's dissertation, uh, which is about Margaret, was the solution, because it let me, um, it let me jump, you know, it, it provided those breaks, um, so that it wasn't just all Sort of psychosis all the time, <laughs> um, and it also gave all that exposition. And I could just because it's not a real dissertation, I could just sort of cut it off when it started to get boring. And so I gave like just the details to the reader needs, the and, and then I could just stop, um, and I could jump to the next thing. And it provided. Um, it also ended up, and this wasn't as conscious, but retrospectively, I think it also shows you sort of who Megan was before she yes. had a baby, which that is what I was going to say. Yes. so. You know, because so much of what's happening is she's trying to figure out who she is now that she has a kid. Um, And I always knew I wanted to start it like right in the hospital, the baby's born, the book starts. Um, And so this was a way to sort of cheat almost and show, you know, she what her life was before she was a mother.
1: And you also do that when she's reflecting on where her cohort is. So these other people, Mm -hmm. what life she stepped away from to have this baby, and the reflection there. And I thought that was really interesting because I find. A lot of us do that where we look at people who started in the same place and then wow. things go differently. And I mean, not a spoiler because it's very early on in the book that the baby wasn't a planned baby, that this wasn't, wasn't when they weren't trying for, but it wasn't like she made the conscious decision yeah. to do this. And so this has disrupted her life. It wasn't like, well, this isn't good time for us to start a family. It was like, well, I guess we're doing this now. All right. <laughs> and, and also the idea of, oh, well, I'm going to take the maternity break and then this is going to work out and I'm going to be able to do all this writing. And then how that didn't end up working for her, mm-hmm. I thought it was just, again, very much life echoing art and probably back and forth yeah. where you have this idea about, oh, well, I will put the baby down to nap and I'm going to write. Yeah. It's not reality, especially when you are completely sleep deprived. And the idea of having a coherent thought at all, let alone something in a dissertation is like, Really? You want me
0: to do what? Uh, no, we're not doing that now. I really like like the juxtaposition of the t- how you wrote both parts because like the the, the present day parts are so visceral and it, it, and it's so fast paced and you're in there in her head the entire time that. It, it, it just like I feel it, I smell it. I smell that apartment. I smell like the sour milk and the spit up. And then to <laughs> to, to go to that um very academic style of writing, uh, it, it's a welcome break when it happens. Yes. So i'm just like yes, oh, <gasps> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: There's there's the possibility ability that nobody has written sort of immediate postpartum book before because, like, people don't really want to read it. <laughs> Nobody, people don't want to sit in it. Not that they don't want to read it, it's but it's it's difficult to sit. It's hard enough to sort of experience it. Um, and I think especially watching somebody struggle and watching as, you know, she doesn't really, you know, it's not like, oh, she struggles and someone comes to help her. It's sort of like she just continues to flail around and you just watch her as it gets progressively more difficult, and she sort of burns any bridge toward help. Um, so yeah, I think having having the book not just be that was really important.
0: I mean, she's a very... Um... She's a very hard character to love
2: sometimes,
0: but I, but you do love her.
2: Oh, I'm glad. I love, her. I, love I, her. I have so many... I, I mean, people say, like, well, how... There are just... None of these characters are likable, and I like all of them, so.
0: <laughs> Every book I've ever written, people have said, none oh, of your characters are likable. And I wrote a book about a woman whose baby died right after she gave birth, and I spent, you know, a whole book in her head slowly going crazy... <laughs> And people are like, this is a downer. I'm like, "Yeah, it was supposed to be. (laughs) I'm pretty
1: sure the title was kind of there. Like, From Daylight to Badness, that wasn't going to be a, hey,
0: feel good right now. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) It could be.
2: So do you read your reviews? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even the good reads. For for my first book, I'm no longer, like, reading everything. For my first book which came out three years ago um but especially early on just to get especially now when i have no other human contact you know <laughs> it would be different um it probably wouldn't be different but sort of my justification is you know like i i can't go to the bookstore and talk to somebody about this but i can see what they say um i mean i've been my agent sort of says like don't do that <laughs> all the time and I, I tell myself not to but i i do feel too though with this book um, in particular, I think there are enough people who are really getting it and really responding to it that it makes it easier when somebody just isn't connecting or is not into reading about this particular topic. Um, but yeah, and I, de- I read them and I definitely, they, you know, the bad the bad ones I remember forever and the good ones I'll forget immediately. So, as a yes. one. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can, like, quote verbatim most of my bad reviews. Oh, yes. like, and then I'm like, but I think a bunch of people liked it, didn't they? I know well I
1: wanted to ask just going between the two books was there any kind of I don't know what the style was for you if they were both written at the same time as far as one contract and then you were contracted for the next book or if they were pitched separately I'm just curious how much how much pressure there was on you to make them similar as far as being able to shop them as look it's the next one from this author you loved when they are as you said very different books
2: um, so yeah, I, I wrote them and sold them totally separately. Um, but I did sell them to the same publisher and editor. Uh, but it for me, it worked out nicely. I mean, I just didn't—I didn't have a second book when I sold the first one, and I didn't really have even you know like any sort of momentum toward one. Um, and so it was really freeing, I think, to then be able to just write whatever I wanted to write. Um, and I think because. I think that a lot of the things um, that my editor at Harper responded to in the first book were also present in the second. Like there's a lot of sort of thematic similarities. And I think people who um, enjoyed the first one will probably also respond well to the second, but they are, they are really different. Um, And my, the pressure for me came from the fact that I had had a baby. I had, um, my son was one when my first book published and that meant that I had written most of it. Before he was born, um, and I felt sort of this, like Megan, um, this this pressure that if I didn't, if I sat back for too long, and if I didn't do the next thing, I would lose my footing in this world, which is a little bit silly because um, writing is one of the things you can do. Where if you do take that step back, you're okay. You know, like you can you can you can get back in a lot more easily than if you you know are on track to be the manager. That, you know, wherever it is that you're working, and then you step away, you're, they're not going to just pop you back into that same position. You know, and so I think women, especially, um, face that. And uh, right now, you know, uh, with the pandemic, are really facing that. So I, I was lucky in that regard, but I still had this internal pressure of, you know, I want, I want to firmly cement myself in this world and not just have this be a fluke. Um, and so I think that's what propelled the book in a way that. Um, having a contract I think might not even have sort of pushed me. That's very
0: inspiring.
1: (laughs) So was the
2: first book that you published, was that the first book that you queried that or did you have other books? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the first book that I queried. Um, It was not the first book that I wrote, but it was the first book that I wrote that was worth showing anyone. You know, I had, I had, I, I had tried, um, and I was in the middle, um, So I was, I, my first book was my thesis uh, for my MFA and I had come into the MFA with this other book that I thought I would, would be the book that I sort of came out of the program with. Um, and I just sort of started for some class, this other thing and everyone said, no, this is so much more interesting, Um, (laughs) but it was, it was valuable in that I was sort of navigating how to write a book. Um, I think it is, I think one of the things that can be really discouraging for newer writers is this idea that, like, you can't, I mean, maybe some people can, but for me, I couldn't just jump in and do it immediately. Like, I needed to have a project that didn't work first because it's such a, it's so different. Like Writing a novel is just really different from anything else I've ever done. Um, And I think to be able to sort of play around with it and say, okay, well, now I know, you know how I can't even tell you exactly like the tangible things that I learned, but I, you know, I I learned a lot from that book, um, and I was able then to write a book that I that was so much stronger, and that I was ready to you know, look for an agent with.
1: Well, definitely, and I I know that whole idea of they talk about that practice book, and I've heard some mm-hmm. authors say, oh, you've got this many bad words in you, you got to get them out of the way first, and then the joke is, well. Do, do the things I worked as a lawyer. Do those count as some of the bad words, or does it have to be, does it
0: have to be short stories and all that? <laughs> oh to be right. all my journals and all the poetry yes. I wrote you know, I in high school. Can be oh, yeah.
2: some of bad words? Poetry that I sort of
0: flush. <laughs> you have to get them
1: out before the good words can start formulating themselves. But but you know, it's just it's interesting because I don't know. Are you working on something else right now, and you've got little ones underfoot, or
2: do you yeah, have? I'm very, very slowly working. Um, And then I'm I'm hopeful. It just, like today was a 55 degree day in Chicago and the sun is out and people are getting vaccinated. And so it it feels closer than ever um, to work on it, but I really have not um, done. I have, my daughter is eight months old and my son is almost four. um, And we really have not had childcare. We pulled him out of school um, last March and never put him back in. Uh, and so it's been a lot of, a lot of parenting. (laughs)
0: I'm
2: I'm ready. I'm ready to sort of like carve out my time again. Um,
0: to be able to go go to a coffee shop and write somewhere. Jen's just saying that to torture me. (laughs) I can't go. I'm like, I don't go anywhere.
2: So I know not to say that if I didn't have kids, I mean, I think it's silly to think that anyone, I mean, some, be- some people are, but I are. would imagine that everybody is dealing with their own form of something right now. Um, yeah.
1: So, But most of us got out of the house more and we're all trapped in our own little pods and all of our pods look slightly different. So, you know, whether you were like, well, now I'm trapped with this person I married and it's just the two <laughs> <of us. laughs> okay. Or in my case, there's three little people plus the husband and we're all cramming for space and Wi-Fi connection so that we can all do what we need to do. It's, it is not ideal working conditions. It's not ideal creativity conditions. So I hear, I hear you on that on trying to do that and having an eight month old, I'm trying to do the math going. So the baby was born just shortly after we went into quarantine pandemic baby
2: baby was born um, in the, at the end of June. So sort, of, sort of, pretty, pretty early. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're like six All months pregnant considered. and then the world. it was yeah it was not a fun time it was not a fun time to be pregnant i, <laughs> I, can't. <laughs> I can't imagine
0: that i, know, I, mean, that, I mean that's having, a horror novel right yeah no i was gonna say having
1: having it depends on what kind of support you have but having a baby and then they joke like okay you have a baby and another baby it's like you're drowning and then they hand you another baby And doing that, and then you wouldn't have been able to have people come by and kind of tag you out because you're just shut down the whole
2: time. Yeah, it was, I mean, we, yeah, we really didn't have, luckily, um, my husband has been working from home also since last March, and so having him you know, having having a set of hands there was um, great, right? and he has really good, he had really good paternity leave, um, which again, like, parental leave is super important. Maybe, hopefully, you read this book and you think, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. yeah. hey. You, you know, healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. Maternal yeah.
1: leave, maternal leave,
2: all uh, that. Yeah, so right. I I, mean, I was lucky, and I also felt, it's funny, um, the systems that I didn't have in place when my son was born, in terms of just, like, the emotional support systems, I did have for my daughter, so, like, there were there weren't, Yeah, we couldn't go places physically, but I now had other friends with kids, and I, I knew what to expect. Um, And so I, I I I deal with that because of their first babies um, during the pandemic. I just can't. It's just everything sort of that I wrote about times a million. Um, So I was very lucky in that it was my second.
1: Well, and I was giggling when you said the what to expect because that message board, that's one of the things <laughs> that you have because that was one of the things I love the most because I was on some of those boards. Oh, yeah. but only my first because by the time the second one came, I'm like, I-, I figured enough of this out. You guys don't know any more than I do. Let's move on. <laughs> just that idea that when you are the first one in your group or there's nobody kind of close to you that you could ask these things that you're literally asking strangers who are also just as clueless does this discharge look right? Is this right? And and so I I love that you incorporated that because that also really cemented it as to this time because I know that if you had kids 20 years ago, they didn't have those kind of message boards. So on one hand, that's a cool thing that we have now. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, hey, a bunch of crazy people who are all talking to each other about the same crazy stuff. Maybe it's not the best thing. And then how some of the messages came through. It's like, hmm, where are those messages coming from? Those seem less less legitimate than some of the other messages
0: yeah. might have been. <laughs> oh, ladies, I hate to cut us short, but we are out of time. Well, thank no, you. I'm making a pouty face for the people who are not. face. Thank you, Julia, for coming on the show. Thank you, Vox Vixens, as always, for just being here and being amazing with great questions. Thank you to Roman Sorotin, our executive producer, I mean, our producer, and Pam Stack, our executive producer. Thank you to everybody at the Global Authors on the Air Network. This has been a copywritten podcast. Stay tuned next week. Next Wednesday, we have Sarah Langan on Oxometus. So next Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. And we will see you all then. Thank you. Thank you.